the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When you can't figure this crazy world out and your life seems to be falling around you, like Chicken Little once said, the sky is falling and you discover it's true. And those seemingly unsolvable problems are so important to you. Then remember, God is sovereign and he's in control. Marvelous truth. He's on the throne. And with a humble spirit, you know what we're to do? Be silent before him. God invites us to bring our concerns to him. He also invites us to accept his answer and not keep looking for another one. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today on Verse by Verse, he will wrap up a three-part message from the second chapter of Habakkuk. The prophet saw the wickedness around him and told God, I don't understand. Keep a marker here in Habakkuk chapter 2, and let's go to Psalm 73, which deals with the same issue. Here is Pastor Steve. I want your turn, please, to Psalm 73. Because even if the book of Habakkuk was not written, Psalm 73 tells us about the same issue. Written by a man named Asaph. And Asaph, like Habakkuk, had a similar concern about the wicked not being judged. Psalm 73, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogance and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph said, I, I don't I don't understand. God is good to Israel, um, to those who are pure in heart, who love him. But I look at the wicked and he said, and I'm struggling with jealousy. He said, my feet have almost slipped. You know what he means there? My sure footing and God's salvation, I, I almost abandoned the Lord. This is so troubling to me. Why should God's enemies be better off than those who trust him? And he really struggled with this. He almost lost his, his sure footing on God's salvation. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying. Not that he thinks he could lose his salvation, but he's about to abandon the Lord. He's struggling with this. And then he expressed from verses 4 through 12 the prosperity of the wicked. And he tells God all, all that I saw. I, I saw them. They were prospering. They, they got away with stuff. I don't understand. In essence, he's saying they're like King Midas. Everything they touch turns to gold. Everything I touched falls apart. But with, with them, he says, that's, that's a problem. Look down at verse 13. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure, and I've washed my hands in innocence, for I've been stricken all day long and, and chastened every morning. He's confused since trusting the Lord. He's been chastened and disciplined. Haven't you ever felt that way? Just like I said before, Lord, I make one false move and you're on me. Others can get away with anything and you leave them alone. That's what he's, he's saying. Verse 15 and 16. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I should have betrayed the generation of thy children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. You know what he's saying? He says, if I share my doubts with the generation of uh, Israelites, it would harm those who trust in the Lord. It would blow them away. I'm, I'm looked to as a man of God. I can't share my struggles and my doubts with them. It would really bother them. Well, what's the bottom line? 
Well, verse 16 goes on to say, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived therein until I saw things the way God sees it. So I got alone with God and he made it clear to me until I saw things through his eyes and his perspective and and interpreted life through the way the Lord sees things. Then he said, I understood because verse 18 says, surely thou dost set them in slippery places. That's the truth. They're they're really set in slippery places. Thou dost cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. I mean, they may look prosperous, but in one moment they're going to be destroyed. How they are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when aroused, thou wilt despise their form. I mean, they're just like, like here for a dream and gone. Dream is, is fleeting, it's passing. He now sees things from God's perspective. It says in verse 23 and 24, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast taken hold of my right hand. Thou will counsel. Thou will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. So I'm going to be with you. I mean, these folks just are in the sun for a little while and then they're gone. I'm going to be with you in glory. Asaph worked through his struggles. Now, don't be envious of the unsaved person who seems to have it all. Because someday God's going to deal with that person and they will have nothing. I look at people who seem to have it all and I say, let them enjoy it because it's the only thing they're going to enjoy. I don't have to be envious of that. In fact, I, I, I say, let them enjoy it. I want them to enjoy it. This is all they get unless they come to know Christ. So this is what I hear God saying to Habakkuk, the first aspect of the solution. Habakkuk, I will deal with, with the wicked in a just manner. The wicked Babylonians will die, but the godly in Judah will live. Temporary success only, Habakkuk. That's all they have. It doesn't mean that I won't deal with their sin and judgment. They will be dealt with and they will be dealt with eventually in my timing. But the certainty of of the uh, judgment is found in verse five. Furthermore, he says, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like shale and he's like death, never satisfied. And he gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Now, this is God's indictment on Babylon. He says judgment will come because the Babylonians are like proud, drunken men. They are intoxicated with power and greed. And you know what they do? They roam this earth, swallowing up nations. Uh, they're, they're like Sheol. They're never satisfied. Uh, they always want more. They lust for the nations and they're never satisfied. And that's the indictment. Now, we're not going to go through all this chapter, but from verses six to the end of the chapter, God gives a series of five woes against Babylon. Five woes in the form of a in the Hebrew. It's very clear. It's a taunting song. The imagery pictures the nations that have been oppressed by Babylon all gathering together at the end and they are taunting Babylon. Babylon is destroyed and they are mocking and taunting and they are saying woe to you. And woe is a statement of distress on, in ver, on the verge of coming judgments. And they're saying woe and, and distress and, and they're, they're singing out. It's really a song. They are singing out against Babylon. They are denouncing Babylon for her greed, her covetousness, her murdering uh, in, in humanity and uh, her drunkenness and her idolatry. And we don't need to go through all of that. And I, and I usually don't like to leave portions of Scripture, but I want to highlight what the solution is. He just gives a description of their wickedness. 
and a woe upon them. And what I want to highlight now is that rather than go through all of this, there are two statements given in the midst of pronouncing judgments on Babylon. God gives two statements that complete the solution to an unsolvable problem. And the first statement is found in verse 14. Remember, he's already said the wicked will be judged. They will have their their just uh, justice will be administered. And then in verse 14, he says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Marvelous statements taken from Isaiah. In other words, in contrast to the world of iniquity, Habakkuk, that you live in, there's coming a future day of righteousness. There's coming a day in which God's glory will be acknowledged throughout the whole earth. You say, well, how does that help? Well, folks, if you struggle with the sin all around you in this world and in your nation and your church and your family and you wonder where is God, what's happening? Is, is God taking a backseat to all this? Habakkuk is reminded that there is coming a different world. It won't always be this bleak. Just as uh, Pauline sang about the world that we see around us, God is saying it won't always be that bad. Someday you will be able to look out and see just what a child sees. And I think he's talking here about the millennial kingdom after the rapture, after the tribulation, then the thousand year reign of Christ, where the the lamb and the lion will lie down together. It won't always be this bad. That's a great encouragement when you have an unsolvable problem and it, and it deals with the ways of God and the sin around us. And and why does God allow this to happen? And why does a, why is a loved one taken? And why does this one get to live? And I don't understand all these things. Then you hear this reminder that someday it will be different. Someday sin will not run all over this world. Someday it will be different. You see, you and I may not know all the answers to our questions about sin and why God allows it to exist. And, and we, may, we don't have all the answers to our struggles. There are some things you're not going to find an answer to in this lifetime. But you need to understand that ultimately God will triumph over every struggle, over every sin, over every problem. It may not appear that way now, but verse 14 says, For the earth will, in a future time, be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's, that's filled. The waters cover the sea. Everyone will know of God's glory. You may not be able to figure out God's plan now. You may be confused. You may not understand what he's doing. How can he possibly use ungodly people and, and ungodly situations in your life to accomplish his will? You may not understand how a holy God can do that. It's not that major a problem, by the way. If God uses us, he uses unholy people, right? I don't have that big of a struggle on, on how he can use unholy people because I know he uses me. And uh, if God waited to use perfect people, he'd be waiting forever. But you may not understand why he does that and what he's doing behind the scenes, but you can rest in the fact that ultimately he will triumph. That's really the message of the book of Revelation. Things may not look good now. But someday God's glory will fill the earth and God will have the last word. So we know that God will punish the wicked. They won't always get away with it, though it may seem like it now. They won't. And someday there is going to be a better day. You see, Habakkuk looked around in his world and he saw sin and idolatry. And he saw the Babylonians doing horrible things. I mean, they, they were the, the Nazis of the ancient world. Wicked. Horrible, ruthless, cruel. 
And Habakkuk said, how can you do that? How can you allow that to happen? And God says, look, it won't always be like that. They will get their just reward. It's a better day coming. But there's a third aspect to the solution for Habakkuk. Verse 18 to the end of the chapter says, what profit is the idol when its, make, when its maker has carved it? Or an image, a teacher of, the, of falsehood, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, to a dumb stone, arise. And that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there's no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In contrast to a dumb, useless, inanimate idol from the Babylonians, the living, sovereign God is in his temple. And instead of shouting, awake, arise to an idol, we're to be silent before the Lord. That's what Habakkuk was told. In other words, God is sovereign. He's in his temple. He's on the throne. He's ruling and he's overruling the affairs of, of mankind. So be quiet. And it literally means be hushed. This is not a call to worship in a church, by the way. This is be hushed before him. The solution is clear. Now, now watch this. God has now given Habakkuk the answer. Now the prophet needs to stop asking him these types of questions. Because God has told him that the wicked will be judged, the righteous will be delivered, be blessed. God has told him that the future is great, that he can look ahead to a glorious day. And now God tells him, I'm in control, Habakkuk. You can be still now. You can be quiet. You don't need to have any. You've, you've been given the answers. And it's not just to Habakkuk. He says, let the whole earth be silent before him cease your doubting refrain from any more questions of this nature just be silent and quiet assurance knowing that i've got everything under control that's the solution that's the solution when you can't figure this crazy world out and life seems to be falling around your life seems to be falling around you like chicken little one said the sky is falling and you discover it's true and those seemingly unsolvable problems are so important to you, then remember, God is sovereign and he's in control. Marvelous truth. He's on the throne. And with a humble spirit, you know what we're to do? Be silent before him. I mean, that doesn't mean don't ask your questions. But once you've asked your questions and you've, you've gone back over something like this and you recognize God will ultimately triumph, God will punish the wicked, and God is sovereign and he has allowed these things to happen, then be quiet. That's the time to be quiet. Habakkuk was proper when he spoke, but now God says, I've, I've given you an answer. And once you get an answer, don't seek for any other answer. You've got it. There are some people that never are satisfied with the answer. They've got to go and they read more books and more books. There are no more answers to these kinds of problems in the sense that God is sovereign. Just be still in his presence. Why, why do bad things happen? Someone wrote a book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Well, we'd have to question whether there's any good people. But why do bad things happen? And you know what? This man wrote a whole book on it. And I have to say, after reading some of that, we don't we don't always know. We can't explain it. I can't explain it. I'm not going to give you trite religious uh, cliches that are meaningless. 
We don't always know why God allows these things to happen. But I don't need to know. Because you know what? I know that God is sovereign. I know that nothing can come into my life, nothing can come into your life unless God allows it. And that's the solution to the problem. You see, the solution lies not in figuring out all the answers, but in knowing the person who holds the answers. Knowing God instead of understanding why you have problems, focusing on him. He's sovereign. You've got an incredible, incredibly difficult situation that you're facing now. You don't know the answer. You don't know why it's even happened. Perhaps someone's ripped you off financially. Perhaps there's some some serious injustice, a serious injustice that's been done to you. Perhaps you've been deeply hurt by someone. I don't have all the answers. But I'll tell you this. Nothing can happen in your life apart from God allowing it. And once you know that, you're silent in his presence. He is in control. God is alive and well. He is not silent. He is active in your life, not only in a world, but in your life. So what's the solution? God will punish sin. Secondly, God will triumph over sin someday. And we look forward to that day. And we need to have an eternal perspective and get your eyes off of the problems now. You need to see things through God's eyes. You need to get into a book like Revelation and and see that someday it will be made right. The wrongs will be made right. And then thirdly, God is sovereign. What he allows in your life, he allows for a purpose. And when I realize how sovereign he is, that he controls everything. I'm hushed in his presence. You know why? We recognize him as the sovereign God. Let me just close in this illustration. One of the greatest, great illustrations of this in the Old Testament, in fact, in all the Bible. Remember Joseph? Joseph was one of Jacob's sons, one of the tribes of Israel. But Joseph had brothers who were very jealous of him. And uh, because of their jealousy, they eventually sold him into slavery. And he went down to Egypt. And he's put in prison in Egypt for something that he never did. A woman claimed that he tried to uh, rape her. And the truth of the matter is that she tried to seduce him. You don't see Joseph complaining. You don't see him getting a bitter spirit. You don't see him saying, God, where are you? Joseph knew that God was with him. Joseph was godly. Even when he's in prison, he says to one of his comrades there, listen, when you're released, tell the king about me. That I'm, I'm, so, I'm here and uh, would you tell the king that I'm, I'm here and I'd like to get out of this place? And his comrade gets out and he never tells the king, never tells Pharaoh until a long time later he remembers it when they need an interpreter for a dream. But eventually, Joseph is released. Eventually, he becomes second in power to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he meets up with his brothers. His brothers are in Israel, in the land of Canaan. Joseph is in Egypt. God sent sovereignly sent Joseph there because famine is coming to Israel, to, to all the lands. And if famine strikes the Jewish people and they're not delivered, then God's promises go right out the door because God has promised that I'll give you this land. I'll make you a great nation. They weren't a great nation then and they didn't have the land then. So what's he going to do? God raised up sovereignly in spite of the sin of his brothers, raised up Joseph and brought him, brought him down to Egypt 
to preserve Israel. And he, he calls for them and they don't know him at first. They don't know who he is, I suppose, because he looks like an Egyptian now and he's older and whatever. And he preserves the nation of Israel. God uses him as his instrument in spite of their sin and wickedness. Finally, he reveals himself to his brothers. You can imagine their shock. You can imagine what went through their their minds and hearts. And you know what Joseph says? He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is so sovereign that he even overrode the sin of Joseph's brothers to accomplish a great thing. Israel was preserved. Israel was saved. God's promises are intact. If God is so sovereign to work out his plan there, don't you think he can handle your problems, your struggles, your difficulties, your confusion? You see, Romans 8:28 says that God is so sovereign that he's working all things together to accomplish good. Not that all things are good, but he's so sovereign that even the bad things don't thwart him. He'll use it for good. Let's bow for prayer. God is so sovereign that he can even deal with the sin issue in our hearts. You see, the real problem in life is that we're sinners and we need a savior. And the solution to the problem is Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ as your savior, understand that that the greatest uh, solution for the sin problem is the Lord Jesus Christ who came and died for your sins. He paid for your sins so that you could go to heaven. Now, that truth is not is not brought out in Habakkuk, but that truth is brought out in the rest of Scripture. And you need to understand that that Christ wants you to come to himself for salvation. We invite you to come to him. We invite you to call upon Christ to be saved, to trust him, to repent, forsake your sin and trust the Savior. If you've never done that, I, I urge you to do that now. And I encourage you to let us know after the service how we can help you. But if you are a believer who's really, really struggling and all you're doing is looking at the problem, leave it with God. Get a good night's sleep tonight. Leave it with God and don't worry about it. And wait for him to answer. Expect him to answer. Be anticipating an answer to your problem. And I might say that the answers are going to be along the lines of that God is sovereign and there's a better day coming and God is just. You don't ever have to have a problem with God's ways. You may not figure it out, but you know he's sovereign and you know he's holy and he'll never do anything wrong. Can you affirm that in your heart? Do you believe that about God? The solution to a struggling person is to be found in the fact that God is sovereign. God punishes sin. God will ultimately triumph. Father, I pray that you'll register these truths in our hearts. Thank you for revealing them to us. We identify with men like Asaph, the prophet, Habakkuk, the psalmist in Psalm 37, which is very similar. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to see things through your eyes, to not look around with blinders on us and to to not see that there's a new day coming, a better day. Lord, help us to live in the light of eternity. Help us, Father, also to recognize that you're sovereign. You really are in control. You really are on the throne. And, and may our, our attitude of worship simply be stillness before you. 
Think of what you said back in the Old Testament. Be still and know that I'm God. Lord, we we allow you to work sovereignly. I mean, you don't need us to allow you to do that. But in our hearts, we we just affirm that we have no problems with you working sovereignly in our lives. Encourage each one here who's going through a real struggle. Help us to see you as you are, to recognize you as the person who is is magnificent, is in control of it all, and to rest in that. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today to another verse-by-verse radio Bible class. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These Bible classes of the air are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a ministry supported by caring listeners. Visit our website to learn more, versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the conclusion of a three-part message. You can listen to the entire message at once by ordering a CD or cassette. Just call us at 727-239-0306. The Apostle Paul said to rejoice in everything. But did he really mean everything? What about times of catastrophe? Can we rejoice even then? Indeed, we can, and we'll see how Habakkuk was able to do that on the next Verse by Verse. I'm Jerry Pruden, and I hope you can join us then. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.